Ryan and um, Tyler and uh, Greg, our elders, and um, I get to serve with the worship team yesterday. Uh, we took a lot of our team up to Houston to a conference um, with a few other churches in the Houston area, which was a blessing. And um, just getting to spend time with these people is a lot of fun and uh, a tremendous blessing uh, to me. And um, we have a lot of fun together. So it's great when you enjoy the people that you work with. Amen. Um, and so we get to laugh a lot and uh, have a lot of fun together. So I thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to minister here and, and to work with the people that I get to work with. It's a blessing and a privilege. Um, I started a new series um, last time I preached uh, called The King is Coming, um, Living Every Day for the Last Day. And as we look through the scriptures, the scriptures are all pointing to a time when all things will be redeemed. When Christ returns and he reconciles all things to God. And so, so with that in mind... The scriptures constantly point to us to how to live in light of the last day. What does the coming of Christ mean for life now? What does the coming kingdom mean that we do now? And so um, we're going to begin this morning. Last time we kind of just gave an overview. This morning we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 2. We're going to talk about the imperative to love people in light of the fact that the king is coming. We are called to love people. And so I don't, I don't do this often. We don't do this often here. But if you would, stand with me as we read God's word together. In honor of the reading of the word of God, let's stand. 1 Thessalonians 2. For you yourselves know, brothers... That our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are a witness, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you again. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we look forward to a coming kingdom. We thank you that this sin-cursed world is not the end. This is, this is not what you have meant for us. 
we look around at suffering, mass shootings, killings, God, cancer, babies being slaughtered in so-called clinics around our nation and our globe. God, we can't help but look forward to the day when Christ returns. And he will vindicate those who have been oppressed and taken to the slaughter. And God, he will make all things new. So Father, as we look to this text, as we dive into your word, help us to see how we are to live in light of that day because you have still called us to be faithful here. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. We often uh, talk about the Great Commission, the mission um, that we have been called to by God when we are saved in Christ. Um, when we are called out of sin into this relationship with Christ, we have all been given the ministry of reconciliation. We've been given a mission. We've been going through a series in the book of Acts called Missio Dei or the mission of God and seeing how that applies to us today. Um, and, and this sermon today will be very reminiscent of that. We will be looking at what our, our mission is because ultimately our lives are defined by this mission that God has put us on, that he has given us in calling us to himself. And Paul wastes no time in his first letter, letter here to the Thessalonians in getting to this point of how he loved people in light of the fact that Christ is returning. At the end of chapter 2, he says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Is it not these people whom I have loved? They are my joy, my crown of boasting before the Lord. And so Paul sees this whole chapter consummated in that one sentence. Because you are my joy. That's why, I'm gonna do all, that's why I do all these things that I just told you about. And so this call to us um, is, to, is to model the life of Paul here. To love people. So the first thing I want to look at this morning... Um, is the fact that love gives. What does it look like to love people as Christ loved people and as Paul loves these people? Beginning in verse 1 in chapter 2, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. And he's going to go on and give a list of what that looks like here in a minute. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. See, love gives we give of ourselves in loving people. And first and foremost, love gives the gospel. Love gives the gospel in spite of circumstances that may hinder us from doing that. Verse 2, Paul says, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, these brothers knew what was going on, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. The shameful treatment didn't stop Paul's love for the people in giving them the gospel. The beatings that he had received did not keep him from declaring the gospel with boldness. Why? Because he loved these people deeply. So first of all, we, we see that Paul is willing to do whatever it takes to declare the gospel to people who don't yet have it. Through beatings and imprisonment and threats of death 
and shameful treatment, he still goes. And in the midst of conflict, he continues to share. He continues to proclaim this gospel. How many of us are proclaiming the gospel in the midst of conflict? How much do we love our neighbors? But notice, notice that he, he puts an emphasis on the fact that he's declaring this gospel. See, love for others requires that we speak the gospel to them. So we have this thing in the church where we try to get off by, um, well, we're just going to live out the gospel in front of our neighbors. And, and, and they'll see our lives and they'll want what we have. Um, yeah, that's not what we're called to. We are called to live out the gospel. But nobody ever came to Christ by just watching somebody's actions. They had to hear the gospel. They had to know what it, what it was, who Christ is, what he has done. And they have to be called to repentance and faith in Jesus. The gospel requires words. And so as we love others, we must speak. Even when it may bring shame upon us. Even when it might bring mocking upon us. Now right now we live in a place where we are probably not going to be beaten because we share the gospel with someone. We are probably not going to yet be imprisoned because we shared the gospel with someone. But we can't find time or we can't find that perfect segue in our conversations to get into the gospel. And it says something about our love for people. Verse 3, for our appeal, here now he's going to share why he does what he does. In the midst of much conflict, why he declares the gospel. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Paul says, we have been entrusted and approved by God with this message. With this gospel. Listen, if you are called to faith in Christ Jesus this morning, if you are a believer, if you have put your trust in Christ, you have been entrusted with a message. You are the steward of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has chosen you as a bearer of good news. He could have done this many other ways. He could have had angels flying around the sky proclaiming the good news of Jesus. He could have just written it in the clouds and called everyone on earth to repent and believe. He could have thundered his own voice from heaven. But he didn't do that. He chose you. You are entrusted with the gospel. And Paul says, because I've been entrusted with this message by God, I speak. And you almost hear, I had better speak. I've been given this message. I had better speak. He sees this as an imperative this burden that he carries, that he's been entrusted with. He's got to share it. He's got to give it. So we speak. But then he qualifies how he speaks. He goes down this list. So we speak not to please man. Not to please man, but to please God. Paul Makes the case for his message by saying, obviously we didn't make this thing up because people hate us. This gospel is not easy. In fact, we've been persecuted for what we're saying. 
Paul here in 1 Thessalonians is trying. There have been people that have snuck into the church or even people who are persecuting the church, Jews, still Orthodox Jews who have not converted to Christianity who are saying, what Paul's teaching you is a lie. Don't listen to him. Jesus was not the Messiah. What he's saying is a lie. But Paul's saying, I'm speaking not to please man. Obviously, I've been thrown in prison. I've been beaten and I'm still coming with this message. If I was trying to please man, this is not the way to do it. So he says, listen to what I have to say. This gospel is not easy for me. It is not easy for us. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It is not easy for you or I to speak the gospel to our neighbors who don't know Christ. It's not easy to open our mouths and share the gospel with those who we work with or those with whom our kids play sports or any of those things. It's never going to be easy and it is always going to be awkward. So let's just get past that and speak. Because really, the whole thing that keeps us from speaking in those awkward moments is our own pride. Well, I don't want to look stupid here. Well, the Bible already says you're going to look stupid because the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It sounds stupid to sinners. So get over that and speak anyway because we don't speak to please man, but we speak to please God who has entrusted us with this gospel. Why do we speak to please God? Because it is he who tests our hearts. Verse 4. It is he who will test your heart. On the last day. The people in this room. Don't know your heart. Can't see your heart. Don't know your, your deepest thoughts. Emotions. Feelings. Unless you open your mouth and share them. They, they don't know them. But God does. He sees your pride when you shrink back from sharing the gospel. He sees the fear of man that resides in you when you won't open your mouth and speak. But we don't speak to please man. We speak to please God. He also says we didn't come with words of flattery in verse 5. We never came with words of flattery as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is Witness. He didn't speak to flatter. We don't speak to please man. Number two, we don't speak to flatter people. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Or as Holman Christian Standard puts it, the wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. You ever met those people? Who pour words of praise upon you just to flatter you? And it turns your stomach a little bit. And you see right through how fake they are. Paul says, we're, we're not here to flatter people. In fact, um, flattery was a despised practice in the ancient world. People considered flattery to be, to be despicable. And you were their enemy. They, they were turned off by it. But not in the American South. We love flattery. We'll bless your heart to your face. Then we'll go talk about you behind your back. Right? We love flattery. Oh yeah, tell me how, how great I am. Like my things on social media. Retweet me. Talk about how cute that picture is. But you're sitting in your house on your phone going... They think they have the perfect life. <laughs> they think they have the cutest kids. My kids are cuter than theirs. Like. <laughs> right? That's what we do. I'll show them cute kids. I'm going to post my picture. Right? We love to flatter. But to God, flattery is despicable. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy. See, a friend, if you really love someone, you'll speak truth. You won't flatter them. 
You'll be eager to see them grow in Christ. You'll be eager to show them how to mature. How to love others well. So you won't just flatter them with your lips. But you'll, you'll speak truth into their life. You'll call them to repent of sin. You'll call them to trust in the gospel. You'll show grace and mercy as they grow. That was Paul's desire. We didn't come with flattery. We also didn't come out of greed. We never came with words of flattery. As you know, you're fully aware that we weren't flattering you with our words. Nor did we come to, with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Now, you may not have seen this in us. You can't read our hearts as God reads our hearts. So maybe you think that we came with greed as a motive. And Paul says, no, no, no. God is our witness that we didn't come with a pretext of greed. They weren't there to gain anything. And, and we know this later on in this passage. He says it. And also in 2 Thessalonians 3.8. We learn that Paul and the other missionaries worked day and night. To pay their own way. To support themselves. So that they could share openly the gospel among these people in Thessalonica. They wanted them to know we're not here for your money. We're not preaching this message so that you'll give to us and that we will flourish and we'll get wealthy. <clears throat> we don't have any preachers doing that these days. Um, we don't have to worry about that, right? Um, you, you don't have to worry about that. We're going to work day and night. Paul was making tents and leather goods and different things that he could sell so that he could share the gospel openly and not, not be a burden to the people with whom he was giving the gospel. And then he says, we don't do it for our own glory. Verse 6, nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. He says, I'm not here sharing this message so that people think much of me. Right? In fact, he chides for saying they are of Paul and I'm of Apollos, right? He's not here to get glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. We were fully deserving of honor and glory because we were called as apostles of Christ. We have a special position in starting the church. But we didn't come seeking that. We didn't come seeking glory. How many of us build friendships for our own glory? We maybe meet a neighbor who has a high position in the community. We, we cozy up to certain people in our, in our workplace in order to help us climb the ladder. We pour them with, we pour over them words of flattery. We say things we don't really mean because we want to cozy up to them for where they'll get us in life. We want to build these relationships to get us somewhere. We're seeking our own self-promotion, our own self-glory in building a friendship. Paul says true love doesn't look like that. Building relationships that are centered around giving people the gospel. They don't look like that. They don't stem from self-promotion. They don't stem from greed. They don't involve flattery. That's what it means to, to truly love. And then, then Paul begins to contrast this with the way they really acted among these people. Verse 7, but we were gentle among you. We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, were we, um, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. 
See, love gives the gospel, but love goes further. Love gives self. Love gives self. Paul says, we were so ready to share the gospel, not only that, but also our own selves, because you would become this dear to us. Starts by saying, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Anybody ever been a nursing mother or no one? Everybody, I would hope, at least has known one. Um, I hope none of you men have been one, but no one. Um, nursing mothers are completely selfless with their time. Nursing mothers can make no demands of their own time. When the baby wakes up in the middle of the night screaming because it's hungry, mama gets up to feed the baby, right? Even as she stumps her toe on the dresser or the nightstand as she gets up and, and goes to the room, and even if she falls asleep while nursing, she's selfless with her time because she cares so much for her child. They are at the disposal of their child during that time. And Paul says, we were like that among you. We were that gentle, we were that caring, we were that loving, and we were that selfless among you. We were at the disposal of these people. Paul said, I made no claims on my time. Because Paul understood that he was bought with a price and his life was not his own. So he made no claims of his own time. Because he knew what his mission was. He knew in order to love people, he had to sacrifice himself and sacrifice his own time, sacrifice his own comfort because he was steward of a gospel that had been given him by God and he knew God would judge what he did with that. Paul has a deep affection for the people with whom he is sharing the gospel. He desires to be with them in a way that requires this deep self-sacrifice. If we don't have a deep affection, an abiding love that drives us to desire this kind of time with people that we are discipling, that we are leading to Christ, and this includes one another, whether you understand that or not, if you're a part of this local body of Christ, you are a part of the discipleship of everyone in this room and who belong to this body. They're all called to use our gifts to spur one another on to love and to good deeds. So you are involved in this discipleship process with those who are sitting next to you. Those in your life groups. And if we don't have a deep affection and this abiding love that drives us to, to desire face time with these people. Hear me. Then you have not yet been touched by the gospel that we proclaim. You don't understand the gospel. And you don't understand your salvation. This gospel drives us to one another. And as we read through this passage, you'll see the familial language that Paul uses. Like a nursing mother. He cares for these believers. Remember our labor and toil in verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. Do you think Paul was getting much sleep? Do you think Paul was getting much me time? Do you think Paul was getting much Netflix binging in while he was sharing the gospel and self-sacrificing all of his time, all of his energy to not only be with these people and to love them and to teach them and to lead them, but also to have to work a job to support himself so that he wasn't a burden to these people? I don't know if they had espresso, but Paul was running on a lot of it if they did. He said, remember our labor and our toil. 
that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. See, for Jewish rabbis, hear this, for Jewish rabbis, it was shameful to receive money for teaching the law. So Paul gives himself over to this tradition of Jewish rabbis of working so that he could openly proclaim the gospel and not be at a burden to these people. He didn't take money from those with whom he was sharing the gospel and those he was discipling. He gives and gives and gives some more. You don't see much of a give and take relationship here. Paul pours out himself for the good of these people and for the advancement of the gospel. Verse 10, you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, believers. See, love requires that we live in a certain manner, which is contrary to the culture and strange to our world. Paul says, not only did I pour myself out, not only did I give you myself, but I lived a holy and righteous and blameless life in front of you. I modeled for you what it means to be in Christ. I modeled for you spiritual maturity and spiritual growth. And even in how I dealt with you, Paul says, I was blameless. When you were in sin, the way I called you to repentance was loving and good and right. So even as we're discipling and, and loving people and sharing the gospel, we have to do it in such a way that we are holy and blameless. That we are willing to humble ourselves and ask forgiveness from those we are discipling and leading. We have to be willing to confess our sins to one another. And to receive forgiveness and grace from those who may, maybe we consider our children in the faith. Paul said, I, my conduct was blameless towards you. And then verse 11 and 12, For you know how like a father with his children, there's that familial language again, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul lived a holy, righteous, and blameless life and his conduct toward these people so that he could exhort them to do the same. So that later he could say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's why he lived that way among them. So he could call them and charge them to walk in a manner worthy of God. Just like a father with his children. So it could be said, fathers, that you are to model this for your children. You are to live this way before your children. Not only your co-workers. Not only your neighbors who you may be taking the gospel but your own children with whom you should be giving the gospel every day. And you should be living in this way before them so that you can encourage and charge them to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And maybe in this familial language, the like a mother, like a father, Paul is emphasizing the fact that we are a family. And he considered himself to be family with these brothers and sisters in Thessalonica. Even in all his talks of what he has done, Paul completes this thought by reminding his readers that it is God who has done the work in their hearts. He goes through this whole laundry list of what he has done. 
How he has given himself. How he has declared the gospel in the midst of conflict. How he has lived this holy and righteous life before them. But he wraps it up here in verse 12 by saying... We exhort each one of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He says, I may do all of this, but it is God who calls. It is God who justifies. It is God who will glorify on the last day. Paul recognizes this is all a work of God who calls you into his own kingdom. And glory. So love gives. It gives. Gives the gospel. It gives of self. But love has a goal. Paul doesn't just leave us there. Love has a goal. How can we know that we have loved well? What are we trying to push them toward? Okay, once they've trusted the gospel, once they've come to Christ, now, now where am I pushing them? Where, what is our aim? What is our goal in loving people? We talked about the fact that loving a person to get you somewhere is not really loving a person. Right? If the goal is your own glorification, your own promotion, that's not real love. But in order to know that we're loving well, our, our love has to have a purpose. It has to have a goal. So, so where is it going? Well, number one, we see it in verse 12. That you would walk in a manner worthy of God. Paul says, my goal is to get you to live as I live. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's one of my goals. To get you to live the way I live. Walk in a manner worthy of God. Worthy of his kingdom. Worthy of his glory. For the recipient, another goal of this love is for them to receive the word of God. So verse 13, we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you. Our goal in loving people... Getting them to the gospel is to get them to receive the word of God and believe that it is the word of God to the end. To the end. See, Paul's going to go on and say, you, you were imitators of other churches. You suffered things because you believed this was the word of God. We have a lot of people in our nation right now who have not truly received the word of God because they have turned away from God's word when it became tough. When it became hard to say this is what marriage is, when it became hard to say this is what biblical manhood and womanhood is, people wavered and they gave it up. Well, maybe this is not what God really says. They hadn't truly accepted the word of God as the word of God. They decided that they stood over scripture. So that's a goal in our loving people is to get them to see the word of God as authoritative in their life. As inerrant. They are ruled by it. That they don't rule over it. Another goal we have is to become imitators of other believers. We want them to imitate other believers. Verse 14, Paul commends them for this. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind. He goes on to define these Jews to tell you what they had done. But he said, you became imitators of church, the other churches. That when you suffered, 
You persevered in suffering. And Paul feels like I have loved you well. Because you didn't cower under the pressure from the outside. You didn't give up, but you persevered in suffering for the sake of the gospel. They endured suffering. There are often times people we have led to the Lord or we have seen come to the Lord. So we think the first time that suffering hits, they're done and they walk away. Well, I came to Christ thinking my life was going to be better. I thought coming to Christ was going to make this easier. You talked about how hopeful it was and how sweet life with Jesus is. And I wanted that. But now my five-year-old has cancer. I don't need this God thing. Forget it. See, our goal in loving people is to see them endure suffering. To walk along in suffering. Notice what he says about the Jews here. Verse 15. Who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, drove us out, and displeased God... And oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Paul seems a little angry at these guys. He doesn't seem too happy. Right? They, they killed Jesus and they killed the prophets and they drove us out and they displeased God. But look at this. They oppose all mankind. Because they've hindered us from speaking the gospel. And later on in this passage, in verse 18, he says, We wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. The Jews oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking the gospel. I wanted to come to you again and again, but Satan hindered us. You don't think the Jews were a tool of Satan to stop the spread of the gospel? And when you look around your life, what tool is Satan using to hinder the spread of the gospel from your house? He may not be using the police force in your neighborhood to stop you from sharing the gospel. He may be using your kid's soccer team to stop you from sharing the gospel. He may be using your Netflix account to stop you from sharing the gospel. He may be using your busyness to stop you from sharing the gospel. From taking time to love people and to build relationships. But understand this. Whatever it might be for you, it is a work of Satan. To hinder the spread of the gospel. And he loves nothing more than when believers in Christ sit on their hands and do nothing. Those things oppose all mankind. Because they hinder the spread of the gospel. The most unloving thing you can do for your neighbor is to never share the gospel and let them spend eternity in hell. The most unloving thing you can do for your boss is to flatter him with words and let him spend eternity in hell without ever hearing the gospel from your lips. But Paul ends verse 16 by saying, they're going to receive theirs. Wrath has come upon them at last. They'll get theirs. The wrath of God abides on them. And at the last day when Jesus vindicates his martyrs, his chosen ones, wrath will come upon them. They'll get their just due. Is the same thing true of us? Are we stopping the spread of the gospel? By sitting on our hands? By doing nothing? Do we understand the gospel to which we've been called? 
he wraps it up with, with this in verse 17 through 19. Love has a goal. Love has a reward. Love has a reward. What do I get out of this? I share the gospel. I pour out my life. I self-sacrifice. What, what's in it for me at the end? I die and it's over? No, love has a great reward. And you won't see it here. But maybe you will see some of it here. Since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Verse 19, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. For you are our glory and our joy. What Paul's saying here is, I'm not going to stand before Jesus at his coming and hold up the tents that I have made and say, look how beautiful. Look how well done this is. Look at all these other leather goods I have made. How, how great are they? Look at the storehouses of money. Aren't you proud of all that I have done? No, Paul says on the last day, what I have to stand before Jesus, the only thing that I have to boast in is the people that I have loved well. The people who I've poured myself out for. People with whom I've shared the gospel and I've walked through life with, who I've discipled, who I've prayed with, who I've cried with. Who I've confessed sin to. People with whom I've shown grace and given mercy. This is my hope. It's my joy. Paul's hope at Christ's coming is these people would stand justified before Christ at his coming. This is Paul's hope. I look forward to the day when these people whom I've given the gospel stand before Jesus, justified by his blood. That's my hope. Paul's joy is that they would be glorified at Christ's coming. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul standing on the last day when we here at Grace Bible Church have been sitting under the teaching of the scripture under the words that Paul has written down for us. Can you imagine the boasting that he will experience as people from ages stand before God glorified? We have people in the lineage of Paul who went before us in the faith. Where, where's your joy? And what do you hope for the last day? Do you hope to leave your kids big inheritance? A nice house? Or is your hope in that your kid will stand before Christ justified at the throne? That on the last day, you can see the legacy that you have left. And it is not a legacy of earthly goods or material wealth. But your legacy is Christ. And that they have poured themselves out into others. And you can stand before God. And know I've, I've loved well. I've loved hard done all that I could. And these people, th this is my crown. I need no other reward. This is my glory and my joy. <coughs> that they have come to you. That I sacrificed my time. That I sacrificed my resources. That I poured myself out. That I had sleepless nights. I don't need anything else. But that they stand here justified before you. They stand here glorified alongside me in Christ. That, 
That's enough for me. That's my glory. That's my joy. Christian, that is your reward. That is your crown. So what are you doing to get it? Pouring yourself out? Are you loving well? Or are you fencing off your time? Well, Tuesday nights are mine. Saturday mornings are mine. That's time for me to sleep in, for me to, to lay around the house. That, that's my day. Or will we ask God to tear down the fences that we've built around ourselves and our time and recognize that we are a people bought with a price and our life is not our own, our time is not our own, our money is not our own, your house is not your own. It belongs to Him. And you are to use it to love those around you. Everything that you have is His. And it should be used to glorify Him. So the last day you can stand and say, See, my joy, my crown. My kids. My family, my neighbors. My church family. This is, this is what I have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that we've been bought with a price. We are not our own. God, we thank you for loving us and calling us to life in your Son, for raising us from death. And God, I pray we would love people well. That we would give our time. We'd give our resources. We'd pour ourselves out for the sake of loving people. So the last day we stand before you, not with a, a legacy of great wealth or power, or positions, but we stand before you with a legacy of people who serve Christ and love his church and love him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.